0: What you're trying to say is when dams age, when dams age, they call dam they cause damage. Yes, damage to dams that aged. Yes, right. On Stream they call damage when dams age. That was an
1: appropriately grown worthy pun. Thank you. Oh. Thank you.
0: That was a dad joke, and I'm the dad. So I'm, I'm gonna, that was
1: actually pretty good. I'm I'm, I'm totally appropriate. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Uh, Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to uh, an exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach uh, with Jake McClure. And on the phone with me, I have... Jeff McClure. Uh, We are The Personal Wealth Coach, and we are bald. Now, were those... uh, uh, we already gave our disclosures last hour, but that's a good one to give multiple times. I think um, we have a question already, uh, John. John, our most faithful questioner.
0: We need to give our email addresses. Let's do it. Um,
1: if you'd like to ask us a question, uh, we uh, will be back to phone lines at some point in the future. But at this point, uh, we're taking questions through email at Jeff at TPWC.com or Jake at TPWC.com. That's Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie, or The Personal Wealth Coach. And his question is based on what we were talking about at the end of last hour. We were talking about the chip shortage that's shutting down production. You mentioned... General Motors. I threw in Ford, but it's affecting a lot of other car manufacturers as VW, Volkswagen. Um, it just keeps going on and on. There's there's a, a, a Honda. Lots of companies have been hit by this, and the question is, in essence, what are these things? Are these generic Chuck chips that the uh, manufacturing program be- they go before they go into the vehicles? Uh, what what happens to them? Well, they're
0: not generic, and it takes six to nine months to switch over to making a new type of chip from the old type of chip that was being made in a machine, and they're mostly made in Taiwan and Korea. The problem is that your automobile may have a hundred, maybe more, semiconductor chips in it. Each one of those is individually designed. They are hardwired in the manu- at the manufacturer of the chips to do something. And matter of fact, when you go to throw the switch to roll your window up or roll your window down, there's a pretty good chance that there is a chip involved. The engine is run by chips. Your steering is run by chips. Everything it's all over your car. There are computer chips that have to be specifically designed for that automobile. A, a better way of looking at this is a
1: complicated switch that it's, it's probably, if if you just want to think purely mechanics of it, what is it that this is doing? It's a complicated series of switches that occur when some some input is given, whether that's steering or turning on the radio or when you're trying to turn your car on from a distance or any of that stuff. It's a complicated series of chips, and each of those has to be manufactured. That means that the machine has to be set up to make that chip. And when the demand was dropping, those machines were re-engineered to make chips
0: that were in demand at that moment. Now, for instance, laptops and iPads and tablets across the country went into mass, mass, mass production as more and more children were trying to learn from home and school systems were buying these things. Businesses were were buying them for people that were working at home. And these chips, because of the high demand, the people were paying higher for those chips than they were for automobile chips, while the automobile assembly lines, in many cases, were shut down. So the big manufacturers retooled their machines to make these chips for these portable devices and for the cloud and all the stuff we've been using during the pandemic. Now the automobile industry is coming back faster than anticipated and there's a shortage of chips. And again, these chips have to be engineered at the manufacturer of the chip. They're not a generic chip that can be programmed by the automobile. Let me give you an example. We all assume anti-lock brakes at this point. We assume that if you press your brakes hard enough, and you would otherwise skid, you'll hear this humming noise. How, as, as one of my daughters once said, how do it know? Um, and you, the reason is because there's a chip in there that says when the it measures the speed the wheel is turning versus the speed the automobile is going, and if it if your wheel starts to lock up, it starts tapping the brake for you. When you go to roll a window up on the driver's side, for example, you assume that if you have your arm out there, it won't crush your arm now. Because it won't. It'll stop. It'll back off. And sometimes when you go to flip the switch to roll the window up, all you have to do is just tap it. It rolls all the way up. How does it know? Well, it knows because there's a chip in there. There, Your car is as much computer as it is mechanical device now.
1: Now, there there are certain types of things that go into the circuit that are... Purely generic, and those of you that spent time in Radio Shack when Radio Shack was really around, you could get all of these little, uh, uh, you could get the transistor, you could get the resistor, you could get the p- capacitor, and <coughs> all, of the, all of those are required as well if you're trying to feed power in a different way through different chips. Those are also in high demand at the moment. So basically if it, this shortage is being labeled a chip shortage but the reality is that it's it's more we've got more chips now than we did before the pandemic it isn't that it's a chip shortage it's specific chips shortage it is specific parts shortage because and more specifically let's get even more drilled down it's the machines that make the chips that's what we have the shortage of. When the demand hit, this this is the way a normal market cycle works. Uh, you've got a certain thing that's selling well. You're you're selling chips to the auto manufacturers, and you know they're they've got a pretty solid demand, and it doesn't waver that much throughout the year. So you've got some dedicated machines for it. And then, if people start buying more computers, for instance, and you've got to make more chips for the computer, well, you just you make new machines to build those chips because you're already using the other machines. Well, when we had a global shutdown and then the pandemic on top of it and people didn't want to go out and buy cars like they had before, that meant less cars were being sold, which meant that less cars were being manufactured because they don't want to manufacture a bunch of cars that aren't being sold. So they told the chip makers, hey, we don't need any this month. And the chip makers said, "Oh, okay." And then they started getting slammed with demand on this other area. And normally they would make they would go and buy a new machine, but why would they buy a new machine when they've got these ones sitting over there sitting idle? So they just repurposed the existing machines. And now they still have that high demand for computers, and they still have these machines set to make chips for the computers not for the automobile manufacturers. They would have to cut back on existing business and take less money to repurpose those machines, or they have to have new machines built. And that's the thing that takes the six to nine months. And that's the thing that when a new, an automobile manufacturer is designing a completely new car, they're gonna try to use all the same types of chips that they're already using. That's just good manufacturing decision and, and engineering but if you've got a new machine that you have to have in there, you've got to make new chips. Well, it's going to take longer to get the car manufactured because you've got to manufacture the machine to make the special chip for the car. And that's where we are. It's not a new car line, but they didn't
0: own the chip making process. There's another factor here. And that is logistics in general are screwed up. Yes. We had before the pandemic, we were really proud of the fact that we'd adopted a Japanese, well, actually the Japanese didn't invent it. We invented it and Japanese adopted it just in time supply delivery so that there wasn't a huge surplus of, and again, let's use an example, uh, Ford F-150 truck alternators uh, piled up in a warehouse someplace. They would get their alternators from whoever makes the alternators just in time to put in the truck. It's very efficient. The problem is when you get sudden fluctuations of supply and demand, and demand fluctuations were huge during the pandemic, you can wind up first with way too many alternators for your Ford F-150s, which we had for a while.
1: And that cost money because they had to buy those things, even though
0: nobody was buying the cars. And now we have a shortage of alternators. I don't know that we actually have a shortage of alternators for F-150s. I mentioned F-150s. They're the number one selling vehicle small vehicle in the United States right now. and so what's happening across the board is we're having this strange bottleneck and bottleneck generated logistics problem. There are last I heard 28 huge container ships setting off the port of Los Angeles waiting to come in and be in dock. So when you order something from China or order or a manufacturer orders something from Japan or from Taiwan, it's in one of those containers and the ships are waiting up to 7 days before they can even dock and begin to unload their containers normally they go straight into dock and immediately start unloading but the united states has a lot of money and we're importing a tremendous amount of stuff from asia right now and the the docking facilities the port facilities on the west coast you're just not capable of keeping up with it so we've got we had that kind of bottleneck and if you get out on the highway you recognize that there's a lot of trucks running around There are traffic jams. So we're having logistics bottlenecks all across the United States. By the way, the railroads are pretty much full up, hauling those containers around.
1: All of this is good news long-term and that we're going back to full capacity. But it's also, well, I guess good news mid-term and short-term. Long-term, we've got to get better methodologies of getting commerce across the nation or we're going to slow down our growth or maybe start shrinking. That's what we mean when we
0: when the discussion about uh, infrastructure is falling behind. We need and the president was talking about this last week as well, the Chinese are putting a tremendous amount of investment into building new highways, new port facilities around where they need them. We're not. The port facility of Los Angeles is pretty much stuck. it's it's got property around it and they can't it's privately owned. So the problem is it takes a lot of money to build new port facilities or to enlarge existing port facilities. And I I
1: almost physically heard listeners wince when you said the president said this. This is an interesting bit of news. We're talking about President Biden, but this was a view shared by President Trump. So if there's something that Democrats and Republicans can agree on, even in the middle of a a second impeachment of a non-sitting president and all kinds of other, it's that we need infrastructure spending or we are not going to be competitive on the world scene in 15 or 20 years. I think it's interesting that two men in their mid to late 70s are looking ahead 15 to 20 years for the rest of us and they both agree on it and Congress is ignoring it.
0: (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say they're ignoring it. It's on their agenda, but there are certain people in Congress who are powerful, who don't want to spend the money on it because they don't want to spend more money.
1: Right. This, this is where, when when people talk to us and they say, what do we need to do with our debt? What do we need to do with our investments? We build up a plan to say, hey, it's obviously a bad idea to have more debt every year. Um, so let's let's kind of cut back on that. And it's obviously a good idea to have more savings on hand. And when we're talking about the U.S. government, We look at different spending prospects and we say, oh, man, we gotta work on balancing at least getting less debt every year. Well, let's cut back somewhere, what can we do? And then the same guys that said that and have been saying that for decades are saying, yes, we should have the stimulus package, and we're saying, yes, we should spend money on infrastructure. Why? Why why are we saying, and do you wanna answer that?
0: infrastructure spending is not spending it's investing and there's a difference if you have money if you have a, a money and you invest it in your 401k and you invest it conservatively and you invest it in a well-diversified portfolio that's not spending the money that's investing the money if the congress borrows money at very very low interest rates like we have right now and spends it on increasing the infrastructure in the united states it'll create places for businesses to grow and generate more tax money. And again and again and again, what we've seen is that is an excellent, excellent investment to take us back uh, a long ways, but it's very obvious to us at this point. There were a lot of conservatives and I'm not talking about political conservatives, fiscal conservatives in Congress who were completely against the interstate highway system. So it's massive Uh, amount of money was spent on that thing. And it was borrowed money in most cases. Well, it was all borrowed money. Yeah. President uh, Eisenhower, a Republican, had to fight hard against the Republican Party in Congress at the time to get the interstate highway system built. As a matter of fact, he added it on to the defense bill to get it done because there were lawsuits against it said that it's illegal for the United States to be doing things across all the states. The states had to maintain the highway systems, but he finally got it done. We assume the interstate highway system today and our economy would be in a shambles without it. It'd be well, nowhere near the the size of economy that we have today, or the wealth that we have today, or the standard of living we have today, without the interstate highway system. But we need something as radical as that to catch up and keep up. And that
1: includes dams. It includes bridges. W- why dams? Well, dams prevent damage to private property. What benefit does the government get from that? Well, FEMA doesn't have to keep forking out money for the same place that gets flooded every year. Um. The, the dams need to be fixed. There are huge communities of big cities that are downriver from dams now that wouldn't have been there if the dam hadn't been made. And if the dam fails, that's not a good thing. Uh, this long-term infrastructural investment reaps massive tax revenues because when you build a road, people build businesses around that road and that's where people go to spend money and taxes are made. What you're trying to say is when, dam age, when dams age, they call dam, they cause damage? Yes. Damage to dams that aged. Yes. Right. On stream, they call damage when dams age. That was an appropriately grown worthy pun. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. That was a
0: dad joke and I'm
1: the dad. So I'm, I'm going that was
0: actually pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm
1: totally appropriate. Go ahead.
0: Well, across the country, there's a lot of things we can do to improve our infrastructure. The most obvious one is a lot of bridges are wearing out. A lot of highways are wearing out. We've, I've talked about this before. There's, highways, there's interstate highways across Louisiana that are hazardous to drive on at 30 miles an hour. That's slowing down our economic effort, that's slowing down our tax revenue. So there's a big difference between taking some money and giving it to people and hoping they'll spend it when most of it is going into savings and taking the same amount of money, a couple of trillion dollars over a five-year period, which is what's been proposed, and investing it in infrastructure across the United States, new power lines, new power plants, new port facilities. We need that if we're going to grow.
1: Uh, The other thing that I had said is this stimulus package you know it's a massive amount of spending why are we saying yes to this are we suddenly democrats no nope, we're no more democrats than we used to be we're economists and there are a lot of businesses that have already failed that should not have failed there was there's no way you can have pandemic insurance in place cuz nobody thought we were going to have a pandemic if it was, uh, if this was a normal event, people would have pandemic insurance. They would pay their dues into it, uh, and and the businesses would have gone through it. The government takes a role in disasters where the insurance companies can't help. Well, why? Because all of those businesses that failed, not because they had bad management, they had good management. Not because they weren't profitable, they were quite profitable before people were not allowed to come to their business. The government said you can't have people come to the business. The government said, um, or, or the, the people at home said, hey, I'm not gonna go because I'm, somebody might be sick and I might get sick. So the business is damaged. How does the government make revenue? They make revenue from income taxes, mostly. There's corporate taxes as well, but the majority comes from income taxes. Income taxes come from people making an income. And if they lose the tools with which they make their income, it's going to take a lot longer for tax revenue to return. So from a governmental perspective, you don't want businesses to completely shut down. It means it takes a lot longer to rebuild whatever was there before because all the pieces got sold off at auction, and they might be—you know—the the manufacturing machine might be being used as somebody's coffee table now. No, you got to make a new one. Uh, this is this is a bad, bad, bad waste of money that the government providing a lump sum or some business stimulation or something allows for not having to completely redo this on the other end.
0: It's a form of investing. Well, let me bring that up to the macro level. There's a, presuming we do get a couple of bills. We do get a stimulus bill. I don't know how big it needs to be. Uh, The Wall Street Journal did a survey of economists across the country that they do at least quarterly. And they've determined their average expectation for 2021 is that we will have a 4.9% GDP growth which is excellent. It is a big surge in GDP and'll we'll we be headed the second half of the year will be'll we'll be headed back for recovery. Now, it does also suggest that we'll only recover about half the jobs that we lost. In other words, there's about 10 million people out of regular work, and that's not counting self-employed people and so on. We'll probably rehire about half of those this year. The other half will still be out of work at the end of the year. And why will they be out of work? Because there's businesses that have shut down. Because of the pandemic, it won't reopen because they don't have the money to do so. Uh, the other thing is, and I think this is a very good indicator. Everybody wants to know. I want to know when is this going to be over with? When is this pandemic, at least to, to, not just to the disease, because the disease will probably be around for a long time. But when will we be able to get back to normal life? And the answer seems to be because the consensus among major corporations at this point, Labor Day. In other words, the end of the summer this year, Labor Day, when we normally go back to school, when kids will go back to school, and people come off their summer vacations, about then they're anticipating they'll be able to reassemble their workforce in their offices, as opposed to having them work from home. A gradual consensus is developing. They were previously saying around July, because they anticipated that the vaccinations would happen quicker. But based on the speed of vaccination right now and the way it's coming along, they're looking. So you can we can kind of make a guess at this point that sometime around the end of the summer things will start to get back to normal seriously that's a that's a good good news the fact that right. most of that 4.9% growth is going to occur in the in the last half of the year and i think the stock market investors are betting on that too there's probably going to be a massive surge in investment and spending in the second half of the year that almost certainly will continue into the next year 2022
1: there is there have been a massive amount of change. changes made to the way we do business. And some of those changes have taken place in big leaps during the pandemic. An example of that, um, I used to go and visit New York relatively regularly for business, for pleasure. And r- driving around in their toll roads has was just amazing to me because... There were people sitting in the booth. They have these baskets where you actually still put real change, like the, the clinky stuff that you put in your pocket. You had to put change in there. It had to be exact change in order to drive on this highway. And it was shocking to me. And the people that I would go and visit there, or if I'd be driving with somebody, and they, they just treated it like it was normal. And I remember the first time I went when they had a sticker on their windshield we in Texas. We'd had stickers on it. We there, we never did the change in a basket thing. What what is that? They had a sticker, and he was talking about how amazing it was, and how all he has to do is drive up and say hi to the toll worker, and the thing opens up. And I said, "Why are you, wait? Why are you still saying hi to a toll worker?" That's a good question. There was no answer to that why, except for yeah. unions.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good.
1: <laughs> so during this time period. Uh, This is a New York Times headline. Toll worker job losses highlight long-term fallout of pandemic. The toll companies were able to make decisions during the pandemic that directly violated their union contracts because of the strangeness of the pandemic. They didn't have any money coming in from the toll roads, So, of course, they shouldn't have people sitting out <laughs> I mean, the, the roads shut down. You can't have somebody sitting. I mean, they they basically were for a while having people sitting in the toll booths when nobody was on the road. No, the only people allowed on the road were emergency vehicles that didn't go through the toll booths. So there has been good and bad associated with the pandemic the long term of this in infrastructure which we were just talking about in the toll roads of the northeast is that it's gonna speed up because you don't have to actually stop at the toll booth to say hi to somebody so that the machine which is already there looking at your sticker says yep that's fine and the toll birth worker goes all right the machine says you're good i can open the gate for you that that to me it's it is uh, it's a big deal Because that could have been a vestige of prior toll days for the next 10 years. They were still hiring new toll booth operators before the pandemic hit, even though the vast majority of people had the sticker and the vast majority of people didn't need to go through it. It, You see where I'm going with this. So sometimes it takes disasters for us to improve the way we do business. It's not fun. Please don't hear me say that this is all good. But the way we do business improves because of hardship.
0: And I can say I noticed Pennsylvania went all sticker. Is going all sticker. Yeah. But you have to have a Pennsylvania sticker. So I guess it's the case if you drive through Pennsylvania, you have to pull over at the border and buy a sticker. Well, Texas
1: only in the last five years or so unified its stickers. So that you can get, there's still some stickers that don't get used properly at other toll establishments in Texas, but if you get the two major ones, and I think it's the the, the authority out of either um, Dallas or Fort Worth has one, and then there's the Texas toll tag, and that's good anywhere you go in Texas until you go to Oklahoma. So at some point, hopefully we'll have some, something that you can just pay for your toll, because you're in your
0: car, I think that's good. Well, and that's one of the problems that we have in the United States. It's sort of unique to the United States is that we have the states running things, where in Europe and in uh, Asia, for that matter, whole continents are covered by the by the same rule or regulation.
1: Yeah. So there there's benefits and detriments to each way of doing it. The way we handled the pandemic is the way we handle creativity. We handle creativity a lot better than anybody else in the world, but creatives are like cats. You cannot herd cats effectively. And in the rest of the world, they're much more regulated, which leads to less creativity. Uh, And big chunks of the world, because they are less creative, they handled the pandemic better. And on our end, we handled it pretty poorly But it's the reason why we are the creative capital of the world. The innovation, when it takes place in business and in technology, happens here.
0: John had a question for us, a new question. It has been 100 years since the previous pandemic. When the next one hits, will the impact economically and socially be as bad? Or will it be a normal occurrence? We'll just dust off our masks and keep on keeping on. Mm. I think probably it will be, I don't think it'll be, it'll be somewhere between the two. It won't be a disaster. We've learned a lot. we know learned that there can be a pandemic, and I think there's a lot of government effort going to be focused on it. And I don't think it'll be 100 years before there's another one. The reason is because of the massive transportation issues that we have. If a pandemic occurred, let's say it started in China, as this one apparently did, 100 years ago, it might have been so modified by the time it got to the United States, it wouldn't affect us because it took a long time to get across the Pacific Ocean. And people weren't jetting from one place to another. We weren't we weren't we were traveling at three and four miles an hour hundred years ago rather than traveling at three hundred miles an hour as we do today. So we'll probably have another pandemic, and it'll probably come as the as many of them have, from a virus jumping from animals to another animal and then to humans. So the thing is we now recognize in modern history that it could happen, therefore we will prepare for it. Whereas before we weren't well prepared for it. As a matter of fact, the two previous coronavirus, or I guess three previous coronavirus epidemics that occurred, were stopped while they were still in Asia, and we had virtually no effect in the rest of the world. So we assumed that's the way it was going to be. I don't think we'll make that assumption again. Uh, As far as economic downturns are concerned, the nice thing about them, the nice thing if you're an economist, and the bad thing if you're not, is that the next one will be caused by something unexpected. It won't be caused by whatever we're prepared for. Yeah. And when it comes to another pandemic,
1: I think it's a, this is something, you know, I studied this for years and I've told people, hey, we're going to have another pandemic. I didn't, even in studying it, I didn't think about the reality of it. It was just paper and looking at the past and saying, hey, it could happen again. The reality is that if we get another pandemic almost immediately after this one, it's going to be bad too because we haven't figured out what we did right and what we did wrong in a way. One of the things that our government is good at, wait, don't gasp too hard, I know. Our government is actually good at some things. The military is one of them. We're actually pretty good at dealing with the last disaster. Uh, The Dodd-Frank Act took place after the financial collapse, uh, the Great Recession, and both Dodd and Frank could have been given a chunk of the blame for the collapse. So to have their name on a, okay, here's what we did wrong, let's fix it, is either ironic or sardonic, depending on if you're a pedantist like we are. There's three words most people don't hear regularly.
0: You just publicly admitted you're a pedantist.
1: I know, it's horrible. Uh, There may be a felony behind that somewhere. Uh, anyway, this this concept of when the next pandemic, the reason why it was so bad this time is because we were complacent. We handled it well, and we didn't have a big one hit. And so the ones that we did have were almost like crying wolf. Oh, yeah, those are no big deals. The swine flu, flu the bird flu, the, uh, the SARS, and um, well, now we had one that hit. And it scared us. And what we're scared of is usually not the thing that happens next.
0: An example of why this one hit us so hard is the CDC budget has been cut year after year after year because their area of study, the budget has been cut for major pandemics hitting the United States. Because very frankly, we thought that wasn't going to at the congressional level, at least there was an assumption that wasn't going to happen. And this is a good place to cut spending. And it's so
1: basically we, at every level. I mean, we, we had a, 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 arm of our most intelligent people being allocated out to advise us about pandemics when we hadn't had one for a hundred freaking years.
0: The protective gear that was stored by the CDC, which was, which actually is a law requiring them to have a certain amount of protective gear in case of a pandemic, but it hadn't been funded in about 10 years. As a result of not being funded for 10 years, all the stuff was outdated and couldn't be used. The, uh,
1: the hospital networks that are designed to help each other in times of great uh, stress to the systems, this is, these were mandated by law. These, these, they're kind of self-regulatory networks of hospitals that are supposed to help each other in times of disaster. At the beginning, there were penalties if you didn't participate and actual tax incentives or credits or flat-out checks from the government if you did both the penalties and the benefits went away over the years so that it was purely a voluntary organization of hospitals that it's not in their best interest in any way to allocate protective equipment for another hospital when they may need it next week. So all of the networks that we had in place need to be fixed. We're not there yet. We, we've got a... a a thing that has to happen at the end of all of this stuff. Uh, at the end of when we say, all right, we've handled the pandemic, we're back to normal. Congress needs to say, how do we do this next time? Because we can be prepared. We actually were prepared at times in our history and haven't been for a long time. So, and, and this is a thing that I want to address. It hasn't really been a 100 years since the last pandemic. Polio has been around we got rid of polio a lot less than hundred years ago. In fact, it's still out there in the world. Uh, it's it's pretty well wiped out in the developed world, but it's it still exists. Pandemics have been out there. The flu every year is technically a pandemic. The number of people that catch it, it's just not that serious a one. So we haven't handled it that way, and we may change that, or we might
0: not. We'll see. We got another email from Jim. He said he thought he'd pass following on Jake's earlier warnings. He's received phone calls and just now a text asking him to reply yes to acknowledge receipt. That's just something you have to watch out for. If somebody particularly texts you and says, check, click here or tap here. Don't just yeah. that simple. And when you go to leave, like
1: a lot of times when I get out of that text as spam text, it'll say cancel the read receipt. Yeah, of course. Go ahead and don't send that read receipt. I wish they would treat this a little differently at the software level. At this point, our cell phones are a lot less protected than our emails are. Spam on, on cell phones, it's getting to be bad. Texting. Now, it violates other laws if they're doing it inappropriately, but they can be doing it from Nigeria and they don't care. So, yeah. Jim, thank you. Um, and this is and he has specifically said that there's a weather threat uh, advisory out there and asking him to respi- reply yes to acknowledge receipt. Um, yeah, you should the, the National Weather Service doesn't really care if you say thanks to them about receiving the text or yes, I received it um, and that's that's out there.
0: All that does if you hit yes is lets the spammer know. That this is an active telephone and you will respond if they send you something and get ready for a, an avalanche of spam after that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, but if you'd like to send us a question, thanks Jim. Thanks John. Uh, the email address to send the questions are Jeff at TPWC.com and Jake at TPWC.com. Just as a side note, those are our normal email addresses too. So if you have a question midweek that you would like us to address on the program, That's the place to send it. Uh, We're going to play some commercials, and we'll be back on the other side to wrap up the program for the week. Uh, So again, Jeff at TPWC.com or Jake at TPWC.com, and we'll be back. And we're back with more of the personal wealth coach with Jake and Jeff MacLure. We are the personal wealth coach, and we are bald. Just full disclosure. I'm just letting you know. We can throw in another subject if you want
0: something new to worry about,
1: other than follicles and heads. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's let's worry about it. I'm, I was worried enough about being bald, but if you insist.
0: If you've been following the news about Russia at all, there's a guy named Alexei Navalny, who is the principal critic and the pop and a very popular guy apparently, who has been blaming Putin for bad things, including basically taking a lot of state money and buying himself a gigantic mansion. He was arrested when he came, back. he—he was, by the way, almost certainly poisoned by the Soviet secret—so Soviet, not Russian—secret service. <laughs> by
1: by almost certainly, we mean they're the only ones that use this specific type of poison.
0: And he recovered in Germany and Britain, and he finally, you know he went back to Russia and was immediately arrested and put on a show trial, uh, where he sends to an extended period in prison, and several European nations had been have complained about that and said that they would be, that they will put assigned sanctions against Russia and against Putin and his allies, as well as seize their assets. If he's not released from prison, uh, the Russian foreign minister said something that kind of is under the radar unless you're following this very, very carefully. He said, if you want peace, be prepared for war. And they are, and Russia, the foreign minister, threatened to break all tides. In other words, stop diplomatic relationships with the countries in Europe that are complaining about this. That is a prelude to war. And this is the most warlike statement that's been issued by the Russian foreign ministry since the Cold War. And I don't think it was even issued during the Cold War this this strong. Breaking of diplomatic relations indicates that Russia, and in the use the use of the word war, be prepared to go to war, by a foreign minister out of Russia is something very significant. Russia is very prepared to go to war. Europe is not very prepared to do anything about it. They're depending upon the United States, and it could be that Russia thinks that with the Biden administration in place, they can make some motion moves now. So if you want something to follow, to worry about, to think that this could be serious business, this is not greatly different from the time leading up to World War uh, One. a
1: On a still world stage but different subject... Mario Draghi just became the prime minister of Italy. Those of you who recognize that name, and that's it's ringing a bell. What is it? He was the head of the European Central Bank. And he made some pretty good decisions while he was the head of the bank. Uh, the fact that we've got Janet Yellen at the U.S. Treasury and Mario Draghi as prime minister means that the central bank is becoming a... um more respected role, and Janet Yellen is being respected by, at least by the current president, but he, she was also respected by the last president. It would not have surprised me if, he had, if, if Donald Trump had nominated Janet Yellen to be Treasury Secretary. It wouldn't have surprised me. Um, so what does that mean? It means that there's a focus happening right now by the voters on good economic decision-making. How's that for weird? Right in the middle of Russia gearing up for war, and just as a side note, we talked about negative prices in oil uh, earlier in the program, but the, you know, down to negative thirty-seven dollars a barrel back in April, May time period. What what did that come from? Well, that was because Putin and the crown prince of of Saudi Arabia got into an argument on the telephone and they went into full-on trade war of trying to pump out as much oil as they could. And so they flooded the market, and in the case of oil, it's kind of literal. They flooded the market with oil and put out of business a pretty good number of frackers. And in the middle of that, Putin clearly said This is really targeted at the American frackers. So this was a direct trade war from Russia against Saudi Arabia and the United States, and we didn't respond to it. I talked about it on the radio at the time. I mean, it's from his own mouth that he was trying to put American businesses out of business in the middle of a pandemic. Well, it turned out that a lot more damage was done to Russia and to Saudi Arabia over the deal, than to the United States. And that just talks back to our crazy nature of creatives where we have thousands of fracking companies and some of them went out of business, but the other ones bought them up. So we still have the same ability to move forward and some of those companies have made pretty good profits in the last few weeks and months.
0: Oh, well, I think it's a good idea to keep an eye on the rest of the world. Uh, The European Union is slipping back into recession and the United United Kingdom Mm -hmm. And the headline is recorded the most the worst economic performance in more than 300 years in 2020. Yeah, its GDP basically fell 9.9 percent during the year. Its production, its its output of goods and services fell 9.9 percent during 2020. That's worse than the 1921 slump. It's worse than the 19 than the 1930s. It's actually worse than 1709. It's it actually almost as bad as the contraction in 1709, which takes you back a long ways. So this is In other words, this is serious business. One of the reasons that it happened, and there's a picture on here that is anecdotal, but but it's on the article that I was reading uh, in the Financial Times. It shows a group of people walking through a shopping district, and none of them are wearing masks. And if we think we've had trouble in the United States, they've had trouble there in spades in the United Kingdom because they basically, when they were locked down, they refused to stay locked down. And when they were told to wear masks, they basically didn't wear masks they were very individualistic about it and they decided their individual rights were being imposed upon and they have this huge epidemic now that has knocked down their economy 9.9%. We're in full-fledged recovery, they aren't. They're trying to get there. Right. But they will see how we'll see how it works out for them. Uh, of course they also did Brexit this year this last year, which didn't help a lot. Yeah, they're having
1: some trade issues with the EU. Uh, the Prime Minister of Ireland just gave a speech to the EU uh, and was pretty thoroughly hard on them, saying that there are members of the EU that are holding against the UK things that they shouldn't, that just because it's like a jilted lover, I think is what he said. And they need to get over it, because it has nothing to do with your personal feelings. So it, there's some problems in Europe, more than a few, Uh, They they have a mountain to climb. There's some problems in northern Asia. Russia is definitely on the decline, and they have a massive army. When you have a nation that's on the decline with a massive army and one that has a habit of invading its neighbors, don't be surprised if they do it again in the near future. I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see a nation invaded in the coming year by Russia. There. Now, you scared people, and I wanted to come back and say I'm also very aware. Russia is doing weird stuff right now.
0: Also, let's, let's close on, since we're coming towards the end of the hour, I think it's important that we note that the consensus of economists agree that we're going to have something approaching a 5% GDP this year in the United States. Right. Now, recognize that currently the death rate from the death toll per day from the coronavirus is at its highest level that's ever been in the United States. And so when we got, we'll probably easily bust the the 500,000 dead death toll, the 500,000 mortality from coronavirus in the next few months, next few weeks maybe. And so we're going to see some bad news and we're going to see some rough stuff. The new variants are out there. But the big thing that I saw was that the corporations and when the corporations that, have they have skin in the game, they have money on the table, are saying this will be over by Labor Day. I think that's a big plus. I think it's a big plus to say that in, if you be patient and wait out the year, this year is probably going to be excellent for economics. It's kind of hard to see that right now in the middle of an ice storm, in the middle of probably one of the coldest weeks we've had in 40 years in, in, in Texas. Year. Yeah. and But it's, but the spring is coming the The regrowth of the economy is coming, and this will be over this year, almost certainly. Uh, the vaccine is being distributed. Uh, I've had two shots already. I've had my I,
1: first and I'm scheduled for my second.
0: And I realize people are having trouble getting in there, but there is what you do is you if you're in Bell County, you the Bell County Health Department is the place you go and you have to go online and get in line when they open up their lists, you just jump on the list. Eventually, we'll get through this. And so there's two things, and, I, and we said this in the newsletter, and I think it's important. There's two things to recognize. Number one, there's still some rough sp- patches ahead. There's some things going to happen that are unpleasant. We still have a lot of people out of work. We still have a lot of uh, unnecessary or unnecessary, depending on your per- perspective, uh, fighting in Congress. But I think I think the dawn is coming, and I think there's a real plus this year and by the end of the year i think we'll be much happier people yeah
1: we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and we're fairly certain at this point it's not another train <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely true yeah
1: so i mean there have been a couple of times where people say i can see the light and i'm like nope train <laughs> get off the tracks <laughs> so we're pretty certain that we can see the end of the tunnel coming up that doesn't mean that we don't have shots and masks in the future um looking at the wall street journal looking through the articles as i flipped through them it's very hard to find unmasked people in any of these pictures and i think that's that's a that's something that may be with us for a while to come
0: there's another good piece of good news it's kind of weird unless you're an economics geek like we are uh, the Federal Reserve announced that they're going to do the, what the conditions of the stress test will be this year for the May ten largest banks. Or I guess nineteen largest banks in the United States. They want the they want a simulation of a fifty five percent drop in the stock market. The stock market locking up and a ten and a run up back to ten percent unemployment this year. They want to test they want to test the banks' ability to deal with that. So they're going to put them through a simulation. You know, actually a 55% drop in the stock market and 10% unemployment and the market's locking up. Now, why is that a good thing to do? Because basically the stress test will determine whether banks can continue to do business, pay dividends and do the things that they want to do. And the banks have to be prepared for a worst case scenario, which is as bad as anything we've seen since 1929. And they're going to do that. I think we're, the, the danger that people are fearing is that there will be another economic collapse or a stock market crash. And I think the chances of a major crash locking up the country and financial shutdown is pretty slim at this point. Right. Pretty slim. And I think we're preparing because we're preparing for it. Remember, it's the things we fear that don't happen. It's things that happen to us that knock us down to the things we are completely confident there's no danger from when you look at the headlines and you don't
1: see we're in a bubble anymore. You see, everybody should get into this or there's no end in sight. That's when you need to be worried. Uh, we are in definitely a frothy area. There's certain portions of our market and our economy that are over, over, overpriced, but bubbles tend to work in that they build for a while before they pop. You want to get out of them. Well, you can, but we should have some time to do that. There's only one thing that concerns me at this point. We just talked about Russia, and we talked about all kinds of other things, but only one thing concerns you? One thing deeply concerns
0: me at this point. The Financial Times had an article, U.S. equities closed the week at record highs, and a big picture of a bull. Oh, that's a scary thing. But it's not on the cover of of the Financial Times. It's not on the cover. Now, when magazine covers, historically, when magazine covers, like The Economist or Time or something like that, have on their front page a picture of a bull, that's an indication it's
1: over. Yeah. When everybody says, yes, we're in a bull market, it just by definition means everybody's already bought. And that means the only thing left to do is sell, at least in the behavior aspect that's that's one of the signs of, of a, an old bull market is when people start saying, yep, we're in a bull market, everybody all together. We are in a bull market. We've been talking about the bull market since April. Uh, we definitely were in a massive and very, very fast bear market in March and April as well. So any recovery from a bear is a bull. But when everybody admits we're in a bull market rather than saying, oh, we're still recovering, that's when you start getting a little bit nervous. And then when they say, this is going to go on forever, or is this the new normal? Or maybe we don't have to think about company fundamentals anymore. That's bad news. Um, if you'd like to contact us off the air, you can uh, locally reach our voicemail at Two five four nine four seven eleven eleven, Or you can reach that toll free 1 800 914 plan. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com. You can email us directly, jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye.